Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. This episode's guest is Jeff Meyer from Dynamic Correspondence Sports Training, which is located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, over in the USA. Jeff is a graduate from Hartwick College, where he was a two-sport athlete in both football and track and field. Jeff has been a sports coach in both basketball and football, and with football he is coached at the youth, JV, varsity and collegiate level. Jeff has been in the strength and conditioning industry for over a decade, having worked in medical, private, team, high school and collegiate settings, training clients from youth development to rehabilitation and sports performance. Jeff has a relentless passion for all things physical preparation. His pedagogy is heavily influenced by Eastern Bloc Sports Science, while apprenticing under Dr. Michael Yeses and Joseph Johnson of Ultimate Athlete Concepts. Jeff has also been fortunate enough to extensively study with and work with Dr. Natalia Berkoshansky, Mike Wojcik of the Dallas Cowboys, Louis Simmons of Westside Barbell, and fellowship under Dave Tate of Elite FDS. Jeff also has numerous published articles, podcasts, and videos for various websites and publications. On this episode, Jeff and I discussed many topics, as I do with every guest. We discussed Jeff's background and his influences, the good and not-so-good things that Jeff sees within the physical preparation profession, and what solutions Jeff would offer to help correct the not-so-good. Jeff speaks about biomechanics and the transfer of training. Jeff gives us a deep insight into his training system. Jeff speaks about how to assess and train vision. Jeff speaks about special strength training within his system. Jeff and I discuss variation within training. Jeff also touches on some of his energy system training that he does with his athletes. And we also discussed many more topics throughout the show. This was a really great episode with Jeff, guys, and I hope you really enjoy it. Okay, Coach Jeff Meyer, it's an absolute pleasure and an honor, my friend, to have you come on to the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast. Jeff, fill us in on the background. Well, first, thanks, man. Uh, honestly, it's been a big, this is a huge honor for me, for you to ask, because I've been listening to your podcast uh, for, for years. Um, you're one of the few podcasts that I, that I really enjoy and get a lot out of, and uh, um, yeah, it's an honor, so thank you. Um, yeah, just, uh, I'm located in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Pennsylvania, right in the South Hills of Bethel Park, and I have a semi-private uh, training facility that I run, and it's just me, and it's I uh, work with clients from eight years up, eight years old up to uh, seventy. So we kind of do a whole plethora of different, uh, different stuff from just basic fundamentals of teaching movement to rehab-based uh, movement and activities and stuff like that, and kind of everything in between. So, um, it's a, it's a fun challenge to, to kind of, uh, work with clients of all ages and all backgrounds and all body types and, uh, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's fun. Your facility is dynamic correspondence. Is that what you call it? DC? Yes, sir. Yep. D, uh, uh, dynamic correspondence sports training. Um, my background, uh, I, I apprenticed under Dr. Michael Yeses and, uh, Joseph Johnson of ultimate athlete concepts. So, uh, when I moved here, uh, trying to think of a, a name that would be fitting to what we do, and uh, DC sports training kind of stuck. Uh, I have a lot of clients that come here, and they they always ask me, you know, why DC? Is it in Washington DC? Or are you from Washington DC? Is it related to DC Comics or the clothing line? 
Um, I say no, and then I have to give them the spiel of what dynamic correspondence uh, is and where it came from and stuff like that. So, yeah, DC Sports Train is just kind of easier than explaining the dynamic correspondence part. Yeah, because that was one of the things that I found uh, really interesting when I first came across your website and just came across you in general was that your facility is called Dynamic Correspondence. And obviously, being a, a fellow coach in, in the physical preparation profession, I, you know, I, I knew... I know what dynamic correspondence is in terms of I understand its background and, and, and what the actual term means. But I always found it sort of interesting that, like, in terms of, let's say, clients who are like, what the hell that, does DC mean? Like, so that's why I was just kind of interested to ask, uh, you know, what, why or where or how did you decide on that as your as your business um, title? Well, I'm not uh, I'm not one of those guys that's full of themselves, so I don't I – don't, not that that means anything, but I don't want to uh, – I didn't want to name it after myself, like Jeff Moyer's strength training, because who cares about Jeff Moyer? Um, and I wanted something that kind of encapsulated what we do and uh, with our athletes using the principles of dynamic correspondence. And uh, again, my work with Dr. Yesis, Joseph Johnson, and uh, I've even got to spend um, a lot of time with Natalia Verkashansky um, and, and Dr. Bonderchuk and stuff. So uh, specialized exercise is a large part of what we do. So I just thought it was kind of kind of fitting um you know the challenge has been trying to explain the twitter twitter version of what that means to uh to coaches so they kind of understand it um around here the high school coaches um so i can try to explain better what we do but uh um you know they just around here they just mostly care about uh bench squat cleans so um dynamical correspondence is kind of uh, a new and unexplored term around here yeah, big time. And uh, later on in, in the podcast, I'd like to ask maybe a bit more about like just how you found starting up your business and, and what yeah, are some of, some of the challenges and stuff like that. Just even for the listeners, cause it's always good to hear things from you know different business owners and some of the challenges they have to overcome. But before we get into that, you, you've already mentioned a few names there in terms of Dr. Yeses, Joseph Johnson, who I know very well, great guy. I, I regularly talk to Joseph about many things, not just training. We, we get on Skype and talk about a lot of life stuff as well. Which I love talking to him about. Uh, you also mentioned Bondarchuk and Verkashansky. So leading into the next question, along with those four absolute great human beings, uh, who else has been a big influence on you, both professionally and personally? Um, well, it started. Um, I mean, it started obviously uh, with my father. Like most of us, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have gotten into strength training if it wasn't for the encouragement of my my parents. My father getting me my first gym membership and, and getting me the personal trainers and, you know, the jump shoes and all that crap back in the day. Uh, but professionally speaking, um, I coached college football for four seasons as a, uh, as a skills coach, as a wide receivers and assistant offensive coordinator. Uh, and it was there at Hamilton College where I, I met the strength coach who's been there for about 30 years. His name's Paul Aidey. Um, and he, he kind of just blew my mind with, uh, the conjugate uh, sequence system and the conjugate method and introduced me to Elite Fitness and Westside Barbell and Tom Lyslinski and Buddy Morris and Louis Simmons and just all those names that everyone, well, if they don't already know, they should definitely know. Um, and that, because, uh, you know, I came from kind of a background where it was Olympic lifting and, you know, your basic five by five and stuff like that. So all this stuff was new and um, I went to school, my, my, bachelor's degrees are in uh, history and education 
Uh, so I went to school to be a social studies teacher. So when I started learning more about the uh, the Soviet sports science and stuff like that, that just blew my mind, and I just kept wanting to read more and read more and read more. So Coach 80 uh, at Hamilton really started me off. And interesting story, Coach 80 used to coach Coach Myslinski, Tom Myslinski, who's now with the Jacksonville Jaguars in the NFL. Um, he was his high school teacher and coach. So he had a he has a very close personal connection with the Myslinski family. And so that's where a lot of the information that we were getting at, at Hamilton College was coming from Coach Myslinski and everything like that. So it was kind of cool, you know, a couple degrees of separation to learn from, uh, you know, Myslinski and, and, and what they've been doing and what he was doing with the Cleveland Browns at the time. That's that's when I was at Hamilton. And then Buddy Morris. And then obviously when Buddy went left Cleveland, went to Pitt, James Smith. And uh, I never heard of James Smith before uh, I went to uh, a seminar he did in, in Bergen Catholic in New Jersey. And I remember he spoke last and I didn't understand a word he said and nothing made sense to me, but everyone seemed infatuated with what, how, what he's presenting the information and how he spoke. And I, I kind of made it a point that I wanted to learn all those big words and be, I wanted people to be infatuated with, with uh, how I present and how I spoke. So I, I studied the shit out of what James, everything James wrote, everything James said, um, you know, everything. And from there that led me to, uh, um, Joseph Johnson, Ultimate Athlete Concepts, and the uh, transfer training books and block periodization books uh, that had just come out at the time. And uh, um, I was fortunate enough to uh, uh, to pre-order a uh, transfer training book, and my order was running late, so I contacted the owner at the time. Uh, it's Joseph Johnson, saying, "Hey, where the hell is my book?" And uh, he said, I'll ship it out right away. And he goes, what's your interest in the field? And we just started talking. And our relationship just kind of stemmed from there. He was like, hey, if you ever need uh, anything, if you have any questions, here's myself. Give me a call. And uh, I just kind of took him up on it, man. I started just bothering the hell out of him um, with constant questions and emails and calls. And uh, he was like, hey, I'm going down to the University of Richmond seminar. You should come. And this was the second year Jay put it on. So I missed the first year. He said, Dr. Yes is presenting. Um, I think uh, Bonnerchuk was presenting at that that one and stuff like that. So I went down there, and, and I was fortunate enough because of Yosef to meet Dr. Yeses personally and have dinner with him and uh, meet Yosef. And he introduced me to Jada Mayo, uh, who's had a big impact on my career. And just you know, going down to Richmond every year is one of the joys uh, that I get to do every year. That's one of the things I look forward to most. And uh, he introduced me to by, uh, Bob Einfeld, uh, the anger strength coach from Elite Fitness, and we became friends. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just because of my interaction with Yosef that he introduced me to all these great people that uh, have all had uh, tremendous impacts on me. And um, through yes, or through uh, Yosef, I started coaching high school football and asking him questions. And uh, he was, I was like, "What the hell do you do?" Because I knew we worked with similar aged athletes and experienced athletes. I said, what do you do? Um, because following James and following elite fitness, I was doing kind of like a five, five, three, one for football, um, slash, you know, um, short to long program, Charlie Francis, James Smith type of stuff. It was kind of a conglomerate of that. And, uh, Yosef's like, yeah, I do one set of 20. What the hell is that? And he goes, well, it came from Dr. Yesis. And, uh, at the time our quarterback, uh, was experiencing elbow pain. 
during uh, the season. And the third game of the season, it was about the third quarter. I remember it very well. He dropped back to pass, and he threw a football. And his, uh, the ball looked like it just got punted. It was a duck up in the air, and uh, next thing you know, the, the quarterback's on the ground holding his elbow. And he came off, and he, he fractured his epicondral plate in his right elbow. Um, and uh, so he had to have surgery. Uh, at that time, I was working at a sports medicine orthopedic practice uh, under a uh, uh, orthopedic surgeon who apprenticed under Dr. James Andrews down in uh, Alabama, Birmingham. So uh, everything we did was stemming from there. So I uh, got to sit on some calls with Dr. James Andrews, listening to the surgery and the procedure. I got to sit in on a bunch of surgeries with the uh, orthopedic surgeon. I got to work firsthand with all the uh, physical therapists. So the uh, quarterback had surgery, and um, we knew it was it was due to his mechanics that that uh, he broke his elbow. Um, and so we're trying to find out an answer on, on what the mechanical issues were because, I mean, I'd coached college football, but I didn't know the mechanical issues of why someone would break an elbow. So I started asking around. Um, so my contact was Yosef, so, and I knew that Dr. Yosef had worked with uh, um, Todd Moretovich and a bunch of other NFL players. So I asked uh, Yosef if he wouldn't mind putting me in contact with Yosef. Um, next thing I know, we were on a flight. Uh, the quarterback, uh, the offensive coordinator, and I were on a flight out to San Diego, and we sat down with Dr. Yosef, and that uh, – that first meeting kind of just blew my mind. Dr. Yesis was immediately able to pinpoint the mechanical issues and why and then how to fix them um, right in that meeting. And uh, we went out to a field and we just started going at it and, and working on uh, this quarterback's mechanics. Um, and that, again, that's just what kind of got me to Dr. Yesis. I just started, again, bothering him and asking him questions and things like that. Um, and it's been about six, seven years now that I've been working with uh, Doctor under Doctor Yesus, so that's kind of <laughs> my story in a nutshell. Yeah, those are some great uh, people to learn from for sure. I know Kieran Flat shared a, a similar story when he went over to uh, uh, Jay's seminar uh, the time he went, and he said that he got the opportunity to sit down with Doctor Yesus and, and Natalia for a few days, and they just blew his mind. He said he felt like a fraud after spending time with them, so. Oh, I, uh, I was there with him, actually, because, yeah, after Jay's seminar that year, we did a practical with Dr. Yasuski and, and uh, Natalia, so we got to spend a couple days with them, and I have <laughs> I have video of Kier and I uh, with Natalia, and it's pretty funny, us trying to demonstrate some of the, her exercises and things like that, because, yeah, we look like wet behind the ear, um, just kids trying to figure this stuff out, and it, it was uh, it was really cool to firsthand be coached by Natalia Verkashansky. So, yeah, that, that was pretty cool. Uh, that was my first time meeting Kier, too, so that was a, a really cool interaction. And, again, a lot of my what, what I have and, and who I am and my knowledge stems from Yosef, but also stems from Jay DeMeo and, and the seminar down in Richmond uh, and the people, the great people that I get to meet down there and hang out with and have beers with. Um, yeah, so it's, yeah it's, we need to uh, – we definitely need to fucking get that team – <laughs> we, we need to explode. Well, in one way, you, 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 for Jay, like you want, you'd want that like summer to like explode. But then another way, you're kind of like, I don't know if I do. It's, it's kind of like when you have those like bands that you love, and then like you no know, one knows about them, and then everyone knows about them. Like, ah, oh, they're not, they're not like the, it's like the secret I used to have. Like that, like the, the uh, Central Junior Sports Forum seminar is like still kind of like a little secret. So it is, you know, like some people are aware of it, but they don't really know how good it is. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing, and uh, I mean he, the presenters brings down. So again, you you asked 
some of my influences. It was because of that seminar and because of uh, Yosef that I got to meet Hank Krasenhoff. Um, and uh, um, Yosef and I were doing, uh, have been doing some podcasts ourselves for Ultimate Athlete Concepts. And because of that, um, I got to Skype with Hank once a month for about a year and a half. Um, once, twice a month for, with Yank. And I mean, Hank is, he's probably, other than Dr. Yes, is the smartest man I've ever met. And he is so well-versed and knowledge and just about everything. I mean, he can talk to you about, man, like the soil type that you should grow these types of grapes for the types of wine that you want to the types of vibration, you know, that you need to get this type of an adaptation to all. I mean, he is so well-versed in his knowledge. So, um, my my dream has always kind of been, you know, be kind of like him um, or just be well-versed in everything. So Hank has had a huge impact on me, and I'm fortunate enough to uh, keep bugging him. <laughs> um, I try to monthly uh, just sustain his ear just so he doesn't forget who I am. And uh, down at Richmond, I got to uh, be his, his uh, chauffeur around for him and his lovely wife. So that was uh, fun, getting to drive Hank around and squeeze him in my car because if you ever met Hank, he's quite quite tall. Um, so getting him to squeeze in my car was, was fun and just talk shop with him. So, um, again, I owe a lot to, uh, Jay and Richmond and, uh, and Yosef Johnson. Yeah. I, love, I haven't personally met Hank, but anytime, any like materials, I've seen in terms of presentations or any of his written material, like, uh, I love him, but he's, yeah, even like just from the presentation I've seen on video, he's so funny, that guy. Yeah, he's, uh, he's amazing. Definitely worth, uh, reaching out to and talking with and just, I mean, just sit there and listen, just let them talk. I mean, just let them talk, man. Sometimes just, I've learned the most from just being a fly in the wall in the rooms with people smarter than me. Um, and he's, he's one of the smartest I've ever met. So he's been, he's been a great asset for me. So Jay, moving, moving on a question that I like to ask every guest and then we kind of get into more individualized questions for the guests. Uh, love your take. Let's get your take on this In, in terms of the, the good and the not so good that you're seeing within the physical preparation profession. Uh, what what things are you seeing that makes you proud to be part of the physical preparation profession? And what are the things that you're seeing that doesn't make you proud to be part of the physical preparation profession? And with the stuff that doesn't make you proud, what are some of the solutions you may offer up? Um, that's a great question, man. Um, the things that make me proud, um, well, First, personally, I love when athletes, and I'm sure you have this too, um, and other coaches listening, when athletes come back after you've coached them and they talk to you and they, and they, they're interested and they want to help or they want to be some small part because of, uh, um, you know, the role you played in their lives. And it's always awesome for me. Um, I'm not that old, but I've been coaching for, I don't know, 12 years now. And uh, it's always awesome to have kids who have graduated high school, graduated college, to come back and want to help out. I'm very fortunate in that manner um, that I've had that. So that's that's one of the cool things that I'm most proud of is in an industry that we get to make lasting connections. Uh, again, one of the things that I absolutely loved about Coach Adie and admired the most is when when alumni would come back on those alumni weekends and how much they loved Coach Adie. And I've... Hamilton College, a very small liberal arts school in upstate New York, but I've um, I've gone to football games down here in, in Pittsburgh. I've gone to places up in Boston, in New York City, down in Florida, out in California, and any alumni I've ever met 
no, no lie, who's doesn't matter what year they graduated, they all know Coach 80, and they all have a Coach 80 story. And um, they had a Coach 80 day um, at Hamilton College, and that's just amazing to me that, that coaches such as him can make such impacts on uh, these kids' lives afterwards. And uh, he, he's just he's what I strive to be with that, just the impacts that we could make. Um, you know, what we continue to do as an industry that I'm, I'm proud of, um, I'm, I mean, I, I just, I, I love the, uh, you know, the questioning that's starting to come out now, uh, of the status quo. I, I'm a big, uh, questioner, um, of what are we doing and stuff like that. I love that coaches are starting to do that more. Um, at least again, I, in the circles that I am, uh, familiar with are starting to question what's going on. Is this really working? Is this transferring? It's nice to see people talking more about transfer now than general squat numbers and, and stuff like that. So that's something that I really enjoy is talking about that. Um, and, and coaches are starting to, starting to, I don't think we're doing a great job, but speak more about results. And so I kind of, this is a twofold, I guess this goes to the other part of the question. What could we do better? Um, I, I coaches, I feel like get enamored with people that use big words and use long sentences and, you know, science, you know, or they, they, they put together, you know, some science that, that, you know, maybe I'm not knowledgeable enough to question. So it sounds good, but no one ever really questions it and, and ask what was the results. Um, you know, there's a lot of theories and, and things being done right now that, um, again, are sexy that we're using because of the verbiage, because of someone who has these degrees after their name. Are, are saying, but I don't know if people are really asking, does it transfer? Um, and then even in, within that, that phrase transfer, what does that mean? Um, because I think that's kind of, again, all over the place. Some people think transfer means to bench and squat. Some people transfer to vertical broad jump. Some people mean to speed development. I don't, I don't think we really have an idea of what transfer is. Um, so that's something I think we should get better at is, is question things first. Um, you know, I, I don't mean to turn this into a knock on anyone, but everyone's loving all this Franz Bosch work. And I know you've had Franz on, and I've listened to that podcast probably 10 times of yours with him. And, uh, he's a smart guy and I, you know, he's smarter. He'll, he's forgotten more than I ever know, but I, I, and I, I've been reading his stuff for a few years. I have his book actually sitting right next to me right now. One of his books, I have his other book at home and I have his DVD right next to me. Um, no one's ever questioning it. Does it transfer? You know, and, and I get it. You know, there's been things. It's hard to, you know, uh, put in a vacuum and say that this exercise transfers to that because there's a lot of other things that the athletes are doing. So we don't really know. But but nonetheless, um, I haven't heard too many people talk about results. Uh, you know, I, one of the things that led me to Dr. Yesis and continue to um, is is the results. Um, you know, I, you can call it reductionist. You can call it whatever you want with all those fancy terms. But it, at the end of the day, it, it works. It transfers. I've seen it, and I don't know a lot of people who's coaches that are getting results as well as that. And I, I tell everyone this: um, I swing from the nuts of the coaches and the scientists that get the results that are greater than you know what I'm getting, greater than what you're getting. And I, I just I'm just chasing results. Um, and a lot of times I just feel like some coaches are chasing the ego 
or chasing, trying to get their name out there and, and stuff like that. So I'd, I'd like to see better conversations on results. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I, in your recent podcast with Joe, you, you said some really interesting things. You, you had made up some words and said, I'm a, a, res, a resultantist. Is that what you called yourself? Well, yeah, resultist, man. I, I just, again, I'm not a scientist, man. I, I was a history teacher. I was, I'm a football coach. Um, I just chase results, man. So what what is what is going to get the best results in the least amount of time with my athletes? Because I only get athletes on average two times a week for an hour, you know. So there's 100. I tell my athletes this all the time. There's 100, 168 hours in a week. I'm getting them for maybe two to three hours in that week. That's one to two percent of their total week. I'm getting them for. So what can I do that's going to get them the best result in that two percent? You know what I mean? That's it. And, and that's what I'm chasing. And, and is, that's efficient. Um, and what I mean by that is, I don't know how it is with the athletes you work with, coach, but, uh, my athletes play sports year round. It's nonstop. And by sports, I mean usually sports. They play soccer year round. They play hockey year round. They play basketball year round. And that's a whole other topic, um, of conversation is the specialization. But, my athletes play sports year round. And if I did anything that, that hurt their performance where they were sore and they had to go to a tournament or they were sore and they go to practice and, 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 you know, I'm here to get them better in their sport, not to hurt their sport. So they wouldn't like me much. And at the private setting, you know, they got to like me, <laughs> you know, they got to like to come here. They got to enjoy the process that we do. Um, and so I, I'm just chasing that, that that's, that's it. Um, you know, one of the, one of the coaches that really interests me right now is Chris Corpus. Um, you know, because he's he's talking about results. Um, I like that he's talking about results. And and another thing that I really like is he's looking at mechanics. I guess um, a, a, another part of, of your question there um, is: Do are we looking at mechanics? Are we looking at what is going on in the athlete's sport? Um, and then working backwards from there. And Chris Corpus is one of the few that I know that's doing it. Um, and so he really, really interests me. Um, I went to his, uh, football track consortium in Chicago this summer and I was really hoping to sit down and have a beer with him. But, uh, uh, I can imagine trying to put on a seminar. He, he was running all over the place. So I'm hoping next year, Richmond, um, or next year in Chicago, I'm sorry. In the summertime, I, I can, I can, uh, sit down and have a beer with him because he just interests the hell out of me. Um, coaches that get results and aren't afraid to talk about it. And coaches that are starting with the mechanics and not just kind of starting with uh, we bench, we squat, we deadlift, or we we crawl, or we do push-ups, or we do these kind of goblet squats. Let's start with what the athlete does and work backwards from there. So that's that's what interests me. Yeah, definitely. It was one thing that it's kind of like you already know it, but it's when you hear someone say it in a certain way that it kind of hits home. But one thing, I, just like Stu McMillan said when I was at Altus, he, uh, we were just sitting down and I was talking, just, we were just talking about like, you know, with regards to sprinters, like, you know, how does he break them down? Like, how does he profile them? And he just said the very first thing is always technical model, technical model, technical model. So it's just like, and he's like, it's no different to like if you're in the weight room. He's like, you have to have a technical model first. If you don't have a technical model, you can't put fitness or any physical capacity on top of that. So yeah, definitely. I, I think it's, I think, Maybe too. It's kind of like when doctors go to college and they get taught like the physiology and the autonomic nervous system, and it's just because it's kind of like you know, it's it's like just get through grind this year. It's not presented, it's dull and it's dry. It's very similar in sports science with biomechanics. It's kind of presented, it's dull and it's dry, and it's kind of like 
I guess we, we don't really appreciate how important an understanding of biomechanics is. Like, I know myself, my biomechanics knowledge is brutal, like, because I was never really uh, exposed to it and, and how important it is in terms of technical model and then that be, that being a foundation then to learn things more like skill acquisition and, you know, combine that with dynamic systems theory and how different people learn in terms of motor learning and motor performance and then inherently then lead that into sports performance. So, yeah, yeah. it's definitely, definitely something that I think it needs to be given more uh, attention to. Well, with the biomechanics, one of my gripes uh, is we, we like to talk about force and we like to talk about velocities and we mm, talk about mm. angles and stuff like that. But, again, that doesn't necessarily help me as a coach, as a practitioner. How does that apply to me with my athletes in the gym or on the track? You know, uh, okay, force. Well, great. You know, we, we kind of knew that. That's been known. You know, um, how, do, how, how do we do that? You know, what are the uh, joint actions that occur to this? What are the sequencing of their actions, actions that occur uh, in applying that force? What are the muscles used? Where are they used? How are they used? Um, these are the questions I, I kind of want to know more about. And, and Dr. Yassis, with his background, those are the questions he's able to at least answer that I haven't seen yet. Um, you know, again, applying force is important, but, you know, I need more than that as a coach to uh, uh, be able to, you know, instruct my athletes, be able to put that um, with my athletes. And and so that that's with me with the biomechanics. Uh, you know, I, I study all that and I try to read all that as much as I can because it really interests me. But if it's not applicable, then what good is all this knowledge? Like if I can't apply it with my athletes, what, what good is that? Um you know, I, I got to be able to get results, and in order to do that, I have to understand how this applies. So, Jeff, move, moving on, right? I I stroll up to 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 uh, to your facility. I'm a new athlete. I walk in, and I want you to make me a beast. Tell me, t- tell me what what happens. Like, what 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 is your whole global training system? So, yeah. all the all the way from assessment to programming to organizing the training process. Let's say like. You have me. I can do whatever you want. Fucking three, three. You know, I can go three days a week, four days a week, five days a week. Train twice a day. I'm, I'm whatever. I'm a free agent now for the next six months. Well, how, how would that look? Um, what sport? Uh, let's go with. I, I, I think because of the international audience. If we do American football, it's pretty applicable to like rugby, soda, so and even like a bit of Aussie rules. So we'll probably say like, uh, let's go with a rugby player if, if you can. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd want to find out what sport, um, what age, what's your training background, what's your history of injuries, because the bi- biggest predictor for a future injury is a previous injury. Um, and then uh, you know that kind of paints a picture, and then we go through a warm up. Um, not long. I, I'm not. I'm kind of on the other end of the spectrum with uh, the extensiveness of our warm-ups. They're not very long. Um, you know, our warm-ups might be three to five to ten minutes tops, um, depending on the athlete and, the, and their needs. But uh, and and you know, like most good coaches, the warm-up is also kind of their screen. Uh, so we go through a bit of a warm-up, and then you know, so for rugby, uh, some of the biggest mechanical movements are obviously running and lateral movement. Um, you know, we could look at, um, you know, how, how you guys pitch or kick, if, you know, um, forgive me for my lack of knowledge of all the positions You're right. in, in rugby, but, uh, I know kicking is a part of rugby, um, and stuff like that. So we start with a mechanical assessment. So, uh, we do a slow motion analysis of that. Um, 
you know, so I video everybody and then we kind of break it down from there. And with my background in Dr. Yesis, my ability to, uh, well, my apprenticeship under Dr. Yesis, if there's something I see that I don't understand, I, I send it to him and, and he anal- uh, analyzes it and we, we talk about it. And then uh, based off of the assessments of your movements, uh, you know, another thing that we do that's a little different is a sensory assessment. Um, so I don't, you know, the, the uh, what I tell all my clients are, I don't want to just get you bigger, faster, stronger, but all of a sudden you're, per- but you're still perceiving things a tad bit slower, a little later, or you're missing, you know, uh, you're missing some binocularity or you're missing some uh, uh, peripheral awareness and things like that. So you're still missing things from a a perceptual side, which can affect your movement. And that's what the dynamical systems theory kind of gets into in ecological psychology. So we do uh, uh, a perceptual and a sensory assessment. So we use, for that, we use some of it is done on our synaptic tablet, which analyzes seven, um, seven sensory tests, visual acuity, contrast sensitivity, uh, stereoscopic vision, 3D vision, multiple object tracking, depth perception, near-far quickness. Well, depth perception is stereoscopic. Um, um, and uh, perceptual span, which is visual memory. And then, depending on the sport and the needs, we'll do a couple other assessments. We'll look at uh, you know, the movements of the eyes. How well do they converge? How well do they diverge? How well do they... Um, your cicadic movements, your, your pursuit movements. Um, we look at uh, stereoscopic vision, your, are you binocular, minocular, and things like that. And then from a sensory standpoint, after our assessment, that lets me know what we need to do in that. Um, and then, you know, obviously any game film I have of the athlete lets me help, and any feedback from the parents or coaches lets me uh, understand, um, you know, because maybe, you know, your swing looks great in here, and maybe you look great uh, you look great running and, and cutting, but you still on the on the pitch are, are uh, missing some things. You know, uh, you don't you don't uh, elude tacklers very well and stuff like that and stuff. So, anyways, from there, then we then we work backwards. And depending on the time frame I have with you and and uh, um, you know your background from a just a general strength standpoint, um, you know, generally uh, we like to start. Uh, I, I'd love to have you three times a week to start in the in the gym, uh, doing a one set of twenty of exercises just to start. That's just kind of like my entry point. And depending on how your numbers go, well, I'm sorry, I forgot. The other part of the assessment is we do, um, you know, motor motor abilities. So we'll test your uh, broad jump. We'll test your vertical jump. We'll test. Uh, I have a Bosco jump mat, so we'll do a bunch of Bosco jump testing. Um, and then we'll go outside and we'll test, uh, your, your fly times or your night fly times, your, your sprint times. Uh, so 10 to 20, 30 yard sprints. Cause that's all the room I have. And, uh, and then I'm sorry, we work backwards with that as well. Um, now let's just say you, you squat 400 pounds, but your broad jump is six feet, which to me is pretty shitty. Uh, I, I would say there's a deficit there. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't trans, that doesn't look like it correlates to me. So maybe on, on squat, when we're doing a set of 20, we not, we don't go as fast, uh, in progressing or we work more on speed. So maybe once a week we go up five pounds, but the other days we're trying to work on moving the bar faster or things like that. Um, or maybe, you know, you can't squat with a lick. Um, and this is kind of where to me, uh, bonder trucks work with uh, adapter types, but I, um, are you familiar with that, Coach? The, the, the adapter types, right? He talks about some people uh, respond quickly. Some people don't respond very well and then get 
uh, better and then some people get worse and then get better. But I also think uh, there's also three other types as far as weight room work. And this is where uh, Chris Corpus work interests me, where he, he doesn't always believe that uh, um, weight room work transfers. So, you know, some athletes I, I've seen weight room work, we get generally stronger. We, we do things in here and they get way faster, way more powerful, better movers. Some athletes, you know, it's half and half. And some athletes, you know, uh, I've seen where weight room work doesn't really make a lick on their motor abilities. Um, so we work more on kind of what Corpus does with uh, overspeed or or loaded sprints and uh, jumps and, and some more specialized stuff in that nature. So depending on how you respond and adapt, that's how I'd also kind of look at it too. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, and I just sense that I am familiar with three types because I've spoken to Derek and I've seen him present before. But that's interesting now that you think there's three further types and and base, you know, and, and also kind of correlating that with two a bit with Chris. Chris has also been on the podcast. I haven't officially put the episode out. It'll be out this week now, but I've spoken to Chris a little bit about his model too, and it's definitely intriguing some of his thoughts, you know, but. Um, that's interesting now that you think that there's three other three other types as well, and that's very. I think it just depends. You know, what I mean, it just kind of depends on the athlete. Like mm-hmm. Coach Corfus has seen where weight room work does not transfer to the track. Yeah. Okay, you know what I mean. And I have seen that in some athletes as well. Where some athletes I've seen it's transferred tremendously, uh, and then again in some athletes I've seen where more of the specialized stuff and you know that that transfers uh, better than just the general stuff. So I I, I kind of. You know, it's it's depending on how you respond and how uh, you adapt and uh, things like that that I would kind of design the program. But I would start you at one set of 20 just to kind of get an idea. And then, uh, like Bonnerchuk and, and Coach Evely have probably said, uh, they always have test exercises. So we always have kind of exercises I use as, as indicators of progress. Um, you know, in the, in the general phase of one set of 20, it's not going to be anything really specialized. It might just be your jumping exercises. It might just be uh, the speed of the, uh, the squat and how your technique looks. Um, but all the while, we're still working on technical movement. So, you know, your change of direction abilities, we're working on the technical skills of that always, um, you know, in one context or another. That could either be um, coach-led or that could be kind of more of a constraint or a, uh, a constraints-led approach depending on what we need um you know from a motor learning standpoint uh sorry quick little tangent is uh dynamical system theory is great and it's uh, i love it i really do uh, but it doesn't apply to everything it's one theory not all motor learning or motor control theories explain all movement problems and situations so it just kind of depends um you know so we use dynamical systems theory in, in a constraints led approach where it's applicable when i have athletes who have some mechanical issues um, that, uh, I, you know, I don't think changing the environment or the task necessarily, um, or, or, you know, things like that. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily going to be the answer. They need to feel it. They need an internal, uh, sensation of it and the sensories, uh, sensory ability to feel what they're doing. So that's where more, it's kind of a conventional motor learning approach, but nonetheless, um, with you coach, and then it just kind of depends. Uh, it, we work, you know, general to specific, um, and, and everything kind of in between. That's where, um, you know, maybe we just stay one set of 20 and then get to one set of 14, one set of eight in that time frame with you. Maybe it's one set of 20 for a little bit. And then we get down into kind of a Bonner Chuck esque 
uh, model where, you know, it's a, a complex method where we're doing the same things for uh, a block of time and then we switch it out and completely switch it. Um, so it kind of depends. Uh, sorry for the long rant and the uh, generalness of some of my answers, but. No, it's perfect because I, I have more questions based off your answers. That sense that that sensory uh, assessment. So I'm, I'm looking at the the or assessing the athlete's vision. Where did you learn that? And could you maybe go into just a little more detail on that? Yeah. Um. So again, thanks to Yosef and Dr. Yasis, they put me in contact with uh, the guys that slow the game down, which is a company run by uh, Dr. Bill Harrison and his son Ryan Harrison. And uh, Dr. Bill Harrison um, is a doctor of optometry. Um, and he, uh, he's been working with professional athletes since, uh, I think the late sixties. Um, and he's one of the first, um, at least in the United States, I don't know globally the history of it, but the, the first in the United States, um, to do vision training with athletes. Um, I know when Bosch Alam first kind of started back in the seventies with their sports vision division, uh, he was one of the heads of it and he worked with, uh, the Kansas city Royals. Um, baseball club, and uh, he then he went on to work with a lot of other private uh, baseball players and other teams, and he's worked with, uh, I'm pretty sure he's worked with Cheryl and Reggie Miller. In basketball, they work with a lot of professional hockey players and just a lot of athletes. So um, Dr. Yesis and Yosef, when they say this person's an expert and that's the person to, to know, that's, that's what I do. So my history background is I always want to go back to the source and the originality things, that's what's traced me back to Yesus, that's what's traced me back to Bonnerchuk and Berkashansky and, and, and these uh, experts because, you know, that's where we're getting our information from. So I, I want to get it from the horse's mouth. So I contacted Dr. Harrison, and um, I've been bugging him ever since, and his son. And I even brought his son out for a uh, seminar in my facility um, for a weekend. And Yosef Johnson came down for that, and uh, that was eye-opening and, and mind-blowing and um yeah, I wrote a chapter. So Jay DeMeo, um, Central Virginia Sports Performance, they put out a manual every year. And this year I put out, I was fortunate enough, Jay asked me to uh, write two chapters. I wrote, I wrote one on depth, or, uh, depth jumps, uh, the shock method, and how to apply it with lower level athletes uh, and how to start with them and then and progress them. And then the other chapter was on uh, sports training or on um, you know, vision training. I know Dr. Harrison, if he's going to listen to this, will uh, yell at me because he doesn't like to call it vision training because it's more than that but that's kind of what people understand it as so I, I want to use what people understand it as. so doc, sorry doc if you're listening um, for that term but anyways yeah so it started with that and that's where I've learned about all this stuff and so how or, yeah, this was a bit hard over podcast but how does that look so if I if I, what, if I was the athlete in front of you how, how are you assessing my visual um, yeah acuity? well okay so for sport of rugby um you know, there's different visual skills than, let's say, cricket, um, because cricket, you got a very fast moving ball coming at you, um, and the angle is very specific in which it is thrown and bounced. So, you know, your uh, your depth perception—not that it's depth perception—is not important in sports, but it's going to be very specific to how it's used in that sport as opposed to rugby. Um, you know, because rugby. Uh, Again, it's a it's a bit different perceptually wise. So for me, awareness is going to be uh, big with you. Um, I mean, depth perception is because that's going to help you judge speed and, and distance of things. But um, you know, space awareness and space perception 
is going to be important. Uh, visual scan and visual uh, memory, perceptual span and memory are going to be important. So the ability to get a quick snapshot and understand where everything is. Uh, processing speed is going to be important. So visual processing speed. So there's a lot of things we would do uh, with that um, and, and how that works. Um, and then build it towards, you know, what's great about Dr. Harrison in, in the visual stuff and tools and things they use it to slow the game down is they take it, and this is what I haven't seen anywhere else that I've studied this, they can take it from a general assessment, which, you know, you might do at a, at a eye, you know, eye appointment uh, of a stereoscopic vision where you use a Brock string, but they take it from general to specific. So they can take your visual skills and do exercises from general to specific. So they have a transfer of training effect where most visual stuff is kind of like a computer game and then go play. You know what I mean? Like you look at a two-dimensional screen and you do all these visual skills and then you go play. And yeah, maybe for low-level athlete that works, but you know, the higher level, you're going to need more of a transfer. You're going to need more exercises kind of bridging the gap there to transfer to that. So that's what's great about their system and what they've created. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so we use the Synaptic tablet. They have a station uh, which has 10 tests but that is way too expensive for my taste um, to do. And for the three extra tests, uh, I'm pretty confident with Dr. Harrison and what he's taught me that I can just do that here anyways. Um, so we'll do the visual test, and that lays out a, an assessment for me. And then based off of that, that gives me a general idea. And again, I understand it's a general test, and it's not specific to what the needs are for rugby and stuff like that, but it gives me a general idea. And then we work um, general to specific kind of in that round uh, um, of training. So, um, yeah, I hope that answers. And so are, are, are the, like, are you running a test where I'm, I'm looking on a computer screen at our tablet, as you said, and then, yes, and then if to, to train that, like every time I go to train with you, is that part of my training session? Yes. Um, in some capacity or another. So it might be something on the computer screen. It might be something with a chart. It might be something with a, a string and beads. It might be something with, mm. with your finger. Um, it might be something with a baseball hanging from the ceiling, swaying back and forth. It might be I have the fit light system, so it might be something with the lights. Wow. Um, I have computer programs. Um, it kind of just depends. Um, you know, kind of just really depends on, on the needs and, and what we're trying to achieve with you. And we have a lot of different types of balls, tennis balls. We have dog chew balls. We have all types of different balls that have numbers on it that have different angles. So they bounce funny. So we do just kind of depends. Very good. Very good. So, Jeff, a few of the questions I, I sent you beforehand. We'll just touch on these a little bit. So concept uh, that I, I love hearing uh, a lot of coaches talking about and I love getting their opinion on. I know Mike Robinson was probably one guy who initially kind of put the concept across. And again, it, it wasn't anything that like he kind of didn't know, but it's just like it's nice to put a term on it. And I heard you speak about this too on Joel's podcast and Yosef often talks about this and a lot of other great coaches. This concept of minimum effective dose you know, with our athletes. Can you maybe just switch into what minimum effective dose means to you? Yeah. Um, so what is it that we got to do? What's the least amount that we got to do to move the needle? And by move the needle, um, that means improve those key performance, those KPIs that we're using. Um, so for me uh, and what we do in here, those are going to be your broad jumps, your vertical jumps, your 10-yard, your 30-yard, um, 
your Bosco jump tests, depending on the weather, because when it's winter here, we can't get outside in time sprints. So that's why I like the Bosco tests. Um, uh, your specialized work. So with Dr. Yasis, depending on where we are in the phase, is going to those going to get better? Um, you know, we do velocity based stuff here too. I have a gym aware. Um, so what are going to move those things rather than just kind of your single leg squat or your your bench press or your your clean or your things like that. So what is the least amount that we need? Um, I feel that once you've seen how little you can get away with, everything else is kind of just overdoing it in my opinion. So I'll give you an example. There's a coach, and I'm not going to say his name, that's very popular, um, you know, well-known coach that's out there. And one of the exercises that he loves performing with his athletes is kettlebell uh, squat jumps. You know, the kind of the Verkashansky model where they stand on top of boxes and they're doing deep kettlebell squats and jumping. Mm. And we, I think, and again, I don't know his athletes per se, but I think we, 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 our athletes are the same, at least level. They're the same age, same sports. Again, he might have trained them longer. I don't, I don't know. But nonetheless, to me, they're somewhat similar. And he will do anywhere from four sets of 10 with a very heavy kettlebell. Let's say a, 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 a 80-pound kettlebell, or sorry, a 30-kilo 30, 30 um, uh, kettlebell where we'll do one set of eight or one set of ten with half of that, and we still see results, at least that I've seen with his work, that, that are similar. Um, you know what I mean? And we're doing less. Um, so to me, I don't see, like, Kier, I got this from Kier, you know, why would you pay... $10,000 for a car if you can get it for $2,000. Mm, mm. um, and that kind of, and Dr. Bonnerchuk has talked about that at nauseum since I've studied them, um, you know, is once you've kind of used higher intensity stuff, there's not a lot of coming back to that. So once you've done four sets of 10, you've got that adaptation, you've got that athlete used to it, then what do you got to do? You got to go five sets of 10. Well, then you got to go six sets of 10. You know what I mean? You got to keep improving it. You got to keep increasing. Well, what's one of the reasons we, we, you know, not we, but the uh, the Soviets started looking into other means and and uh, you know the uh, the block periodization and Bonnerchuk and the transfer of training specialized exercise was because over volumization was becoming an issue and athletes were getting hurt. Well, so that's one of the reasons why one of the many reasons why I like uh, the one set of twenty. You know, if we can get you better with one set, and the next year maybe we do two. So from a long-term development standpoint, I can keep getting progress year after year after year because now we slowly increase the volume. But, again, once you've seen how little you can actually get away with, um, and by get away with is, is improve speed and improve power in an athlete, everything else is, uh, again, overtraining in my opinion, and I can give you a more than enough numbers. Uh, I studied, and I'm, I'm certified in Westside Barbell. Uh, I love Louis Simmons. I've been out there. I've had breakfast with Lou several times. Um, one of the things I absolutely love about Lou is his ability to spit out numbers at any moment, any time. He can give you results dating all the way back to, what, 1972 and 1980s and stuff like that of every athlete and people, and I love that. So that's something I've always tried to do is be able to have that ready because – Again, this can mean nothing if I don't give you the results, if we didn't get results. Um, but again, so once you've seen how little you can get away with, everything else is just kind of a little overdoing it, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a, it's a concept I, uh, I spoke with, uh, spoke to with uh, Yosef um, in a podcast he done with me lately, and just uh, as of now, it hasn't been released. 
but he was on um, Joel Smith's podcast and, and he spoke about a, a similar uh, a similar concept and this idea of introducing a stimulus that's just too intense for the current athlete or the organism, if you like, that is in front of you is actually going to be detrimental in the long run because, one, it's too intense for the athlete to be able to adapt to currently, so the risk of injury is going to... And then secondly, if you try to reintroduce that same stimulus again when they are a little more advanced or elite in their training, it, it won't have the same potency as if you didn't use it in the first place. Um, so, like, it's... And it's almost nearly like this kind of almost hormesis effect. The fact that the organism or the athlete had been had been exposed to that little bit of stimulus, then uh, led to it not being as a powerful stimulus later on in the training. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely, absolutely freaking Um Yeah, I've seen, there's, again, uh, a lot of coaches out there that work with the same level athletes I do that are doing, again, I, I, I'm not trying to knock any particular training model or training method or exercise, but they're doing things, in my opinion, that are just too intense for the athlete. Now, I get it. Every coach has a job to do, and that's to get results. And sometimes, you know, they think they need to do higher intensity stuff to get that result. Yeah, but, get to get there quicker, like, yeah. Yeah, like it's, it's going to speed up the path. But. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, you also quote with Bonnerchuk in that Joel, that Joel Smith podcast where Bonnerchuk says, if you use something that's more intense than you need, you can never come back to it. Again, the idea that, you know, you kind of, you kind of use the little secret weapon you had up your sleeve. But uh, another another aspect that's very interesting, and I asked you also about this in depth as well, and I really want your thoughts on it too, is, uh, and it's something I really tried to get Keir to talk about kind of talking, talking with him, is about special strength training, because for the most part, a lot of coaches out there really don't understand special strength training. So in terms of special strength training, Jeff, where does it fall within your overall program structure? So like, say, an actual program session, is yeah. it? Yeah, and then out, uh, adding on to that as well, what sort of criteria do you use to come up with the special strength exercises for a particular rally? Now I know it's sport dependent, um, but like, do you do you sort of use dynamic correspondence for Perkins Chance and Sip as a sort of driving factor to come up, or the driving criteria to come up with certain strength special strength training exercises, or like basically how do you decide what special strength exercises to use? I ask people smarter than me. Um, I'm not smart enough to come up with my own exercises. I don't believe I, I'm not. I never want to be one of those guys that come up with an exercise and name it myself. I'm not mm -hmm. that smart. So, what Doctor Yeses tells me, what Yosef uh, tells me, what Bonderchuk will say, what uh, Natalia will say is a specialized exercise to me. That that's a specialized exercise. So I don't I don't try to come up with my own shit and say that's specialized at all. Um, so my criteria is going by people smarter than me. Um, now, as far as do I use principle dynamic correspondence? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, that is the detailed version of kind of uh, Bonnerchuk's method. So I mean, it's all of that. Regardless, if you want to use Bonnerchuk's terminology, you want to use Berkshansky's terminology. They're all it's it's more similar than different. It's just Berkshansky uh, breaks it down into finer detail. Now. Where people say, "Oh, what we do in here is not specialized to that." Well, yes and no. Um, it, it, you know, there's five criteria of uh, dynamic correspondence, and maybe what we do meets three of those. Well, that's still two better, or three better, or two better than uh, uh, what you're currently doing. So, to me, that falls closer in the continuum. It may not be completely specialized, 
uh, in the sense of meeting all five criteria, but it, it, it is closer. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, uh, are loving right now Franz Bosch and talking about attractors and fluctuators and, and doing things of that nature. And uh, to me, the idea of an attractor is very similar to the idea of key movements that Berkashansky and Bonnerchuk and Yesus have been speaking about since way back in the day. Um, as far as uh, that they're the important parts, uh, the, the, the stable parts of, of the movement. So the specialized exercises we use are really based off the key movements of whatever that movement is. And again, I refer to Yesus for what those are. So um, again, let's say for running, Okay, uh, some of the, the key movements which match the uh, two-mass model, in a sense, are the, uh, uh, the ankle joint extension, uh, the push-off, which a lot of people think that's passive, but I have a lot of uh, research in the old Soviet sports reviews that shows it's not. Uh, the knee drive, the ability to drive the thigh forward, and to me that is same-ish terminology as what Franz Bosch talks about with the hip lock. Uh, the, the only difference is the hip lock is the end part of the knee drive. Um, but understanding where the muscles contract and how they contract and in the range of motion in which they contract is the difference because it's very, uh, it's a very small range of motion from behind the body to drive the thigh forward. And Zatziorski brings this out in his book. Um, he calls it accentuation. It's the principle of accentuation in biomechanics for exercises. And I actually spoke with him maybe a month and a half ago, about it. And he said he just doesn't understand why more coaches don't understand this principle of accentuation. And that's really what Yesus does. So the knee drive is a huge exercise that we do. So depending on where we are in the training, uh, there's always some sort of specialized exercises going on. It might be in the one set of 20 phase, more of a learning standpoint, more of a kind of a uh, just building um, the neuromuscular pathway standpoint before it gets into, you know, the other criteria of principle uh, of dynamical correspondence. But we're doing some sort of specialized work always. Uh, it's just how it's done and the amount, the volume of which it's done and the intensity which is done just changes. Um, so as an athlete progresses, you know, uh, we get more specialized and we get less general. Um, so, you know, fall sports just started here last week. So before that, in the, in the couple months before that, I had a lot of athletes doing a lot of specialized work, a lot of um, explosive knee drives and GH, uh, explosive GHRs or plyometric G, uh, GHRs or uh, um, explosive uh, front lunges with knee drives and things that resemble that for baseball. It's the, uh, the weight shift and hip rotation, doing it uh, with a uh, uh, sped up in a speed fashion, uh, doing it with a med ball, specialized med ball work uh, that matched the, the biomechanics of that sport. But, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent. I hope that answers some of your questions. No, no, it's perfect. So, again, again, just because I know sometimes when you get asked a question, you go off and you're like, what was the question again? So, again, just around what criteria you used for your special strength training exercises, and we were kind of saying, do you use dynamic correspondence? And you say that, yeah, you do, and, and that sometimes, right, if an exercise is meeting all five, is it meeting, like, three of that criteria which is better than than is two better than than one say for instance but uh, just something on that uh with special strength training exercises like i was talking to this guy tom tomlinson who is involved with english rugby and i met him over at altus and 
we were kind of speaking about you know that spectrum of specificity versus overload and obviously the more specific you come the less you can overload the exercise and the more overload you can add to an exercise the more general it usually is and he was kind of like he felt with a lot of the Bosch stuff it's like he felt like it was almost in no man's land it, it was so underloaded because it was so underloaded you couldn't get a, a specific stimulus out of it in terms of a physical capacity you know like strength for instance and then he said it, it was it was specific but not not specific enough to have optimal transfer and he felt like it was almost in no man's land and do you feel that because i know there's coaches out there like even with charlie francis like charlie's kind of like as an athlete nearly got more elite he'd like to have their general work really general and then when they were doing specific work he wants to be specific as possible rather than like trying to kind of be like specific but not as specific as possible say within the weight room or sort of with, with certain training methods outside of the actual specific sport itself like so does that kind of question make sense? What are some of your, your thoughts maybe on that? Yeah, uh, again, uh, I'm sorry to keep using this, but it, it just depends. Um, I, 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 we, we use specialized stuff when it's needed um, and, and in, in, in where it's needed. And, tr- you know, if I can get – listen, if I can get away with getting the KPIs moving where we want using nothing but general, then I'm going to use that. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? I, why, again, like like you said, why use uh, your trump card if you don't have to right away? So, so Jeff, just before you go on there, so yeah. if if you're uh, so if you're doing special strength exercises and you're seeing the certain key performance indicator exercises improve, that are, are you are, are you I don't want to say assume, but I suppose are you assuming that those KPI exercises have a high correlation to the sport that this athlete plays? Yeah, that's the general idea. Um, I that, mean, and well, yeah. let, let's well again for my level athlete. Let's just be a little more specific. When my level athlete, I'm working with high, middle school, high schoolers. Um, you know what I mean, and and some mm. college athletes when mm. they come back. So for me, if a 14 year old improves their broad jump, I'm going to feel pretty confident their 10 yard sprint's going to improve. You know what I mean? I, I feel I feel better about that improvement as far as or, or as compared to they go up 20 pounds in their squat. And I think they're gonna they're ten yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 that's, that's for that's, high level athlete. Yeah. Yes, maybe that's, the higher level you go, a broad jump that's doesn't transfer as well. Yeah. But at least for my level athletes, that's what I'm seeing. Again, uh, it, I think it kind of depends. Yeah, I think I think too with the question I asked as I was at the special strength training one, like kind of uh, the question I just asked there previously about like is it like uh, like. Is it? It's not close enough to the specific sport to have optimal transfer. I, I, I suppose it'd probably be like as an athlete gets more elite, then it's probably like they're it, it becomes that they that they just play sport and then the, their general stuff is general. Whereas maybe when they're younger, because again they're so more malleable, adaptable that the special strength training is going to have more transfer because again they have so much room for improvement. So it's probably even like again as you said, it depends. It's going to be a context here of well, where is this athlete in terms of their career and their actual overall development? So. Probably as they get more elite and uh, advanced within their sport, it probably then as because Charlie was basically talking about like Ben when Ben was like at the elitely end of his career that he went back to like real just general stuff for his general stuff and then specifically sort of all the sport where he didn't try to like interfere. And that's why he felt Olympic lifting and, and certain maybe jumping volumes. He actually started to take those away. He didn't even do anything with Ben because he felt they were too close to the same central, central nervous stimulus as a specific sport. So that was kind of my question with the special trend. Do you think it would actually be detrimental because it's like it's not specific enough? 
you know, to, 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 to actually lead to some results in the actual sport-specific task. But I suppose with a younger athlete, it, it will because, again, they're so under-trained in that area that you probably are going to see a transfer. People have KPIs, as you said, are going up like a broad jump for an acceleration. So it's probably, as again, context, and it depends in terms of the athlete. Well, that, in, in the context of maybe how is it dosed? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe Charlie was, maybe, I'm just throwing out there, maybe Charlie was doing too much jumping and too much of the Olympic lifts and it was negatively affecting the speed work. You know I what I mean? I don't think ever, I don't think ever actually did Olympic lifting with them, but jumping or something, he just used that as an analogy. He felt it would be too close to the same CNS stress, if you like. Maybe. Just, you know what I mean? Like, I, again, but, but maybe the dosage was just too much. Maybe yeah, he, no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Maybe yeah. he's doing three sets of ten when all, maybe he could have just done one. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. So there's, again, there's a lot of things. I, I, I like to start with the least amount and then work up. So, um, yeah, yeah. you know, as, we... As, uh, in, in, terms, in terms of your special strength in, within a session, I, I've asked most people, and most people say the same. It, are you programmed that in, like, after the warm-up, before your, like, plyometric work, and then before your... Depends, depends, yeah, depends, depends where we are in the training. So in the, like, let's say the 20 phase, it doesn't matter. Um, you know what I mean? Just, just get it done. Uh, I kind of like to work big to small in the 20 phase. So, you know, we might do our power skips or our short coupling jumps and our squats and GHRs or something. But as we get closer to competition, yeah, specialized comes in first, uh, after yeah, the warm up yeah. and stuff like that. Um, yeah, that starts to take precedence and everything else after is done. And even so, like right now I have tennis athletes that are in season, um, so they come in and they only do specialized work and that's it. You know, I mean, they'll only come in go. and do their explosive lunges and their jumps and their explosive knee drives and that's it. I don't even have them squat or GHR or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. And then in terms with the with the one by twenty, you're saying there, you know, usually three times a week. Is it the exact same program on each three days? Just going in one by twenty. Yeah, um, I know some coaches have done it different. That's how I program it. I know some coaches might have it kind of like, uh, you know, here's a day one template, here's a day. Two template, and then they alternate that every. You know what I mean? Every other day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I suppose if you're going back to like again minimum effective dose, why why do it different? Why not just keep the same? And then when that starts to stall, you can add in like you can add in some variation. And that's yeah. really that's usually thing to do with the transfer training. It's it's such an interesting question. I'd like to get your take on it too. Is that like I, I saw I'm good, good friends with John Kiley. I know John. Well, as, People can call him Keeley. His name is Kylie. Okay, John Kylie. Kylie. Okay. <laughs> I don't. I don't think he minds if people say Keeley anyway. But anyway, but uh, but I saw John present again there on Friday, and I, the presentation he presents, and I've seen a few times now. Yeah, the inconvenient truth. You know, it's about his, it's his periodization uh, yep. presentation. But um, John, uh, like, and and Derek brought up the same point in also last February, and I, I talked about this too. Is that you know people want to discuss oh this this certain uh, model is better than this model, this method is better than this method, and then like to kind of like, how do we not know it's just variation in training? Because that's the well, one that, that's the one underlying thing for everything that is, is it just variation, and it's like how, like, how can we tell like, what is actually transparent, or is it just variation? No, exactly it. Um, no, you're, you're right, man. I it could, I mean, a lot of my athletes, novelty is one way to get an adaptation, just, just variation, just doing yeah. new things, so is it the exercises that are transferring, uh, causing the transfer, or is it just because it's it's fucking new? Um, I don't know, but that's that is interesting. Um, but I agree with John Keeley um, <laughs> that uh, you know everything what we do. The ones that are twenty uh, is just a mindset. It's just a philosophy. That's not everything we do, and that's just a starting point. From there, 
it can go off into different things depending on the context. So yeah, I know yeah. a lot of coaches in the States use triphasic, which again, is having great uh, success from what I've, what I've seen. But you know, we do, we do eccentric focus stuff when it's needed, where it's needed. You know what I mean? Like it's, we don't just have blocks of time where we're mm-hmm. trying to squeeze in these things. It's just kind of a needs based thing where we feel it, it kind of fits based off of, the uh, the athlete so you know everything works nothing works forever uh, uh, and we just got to find what works and, and where where it's needed um, you know there's uh, like the old Olympic lift debate man you know people are having great results with that so why wouldn't I want to include that at some point in my training you know that's just another tool in my box yeah like one thing, one thing uh, just <laughs> coming to mind there is that you. It's, it's 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 only just coming into my mind now just to say that like you hear so many coaches say well it works for us or I've seen great results on it and I think most of the time that is just like really just an emotional response from people like I don't I, I, I don't know I don't know a lot of coaches out there who are consistently on a day in day out basis objectively like testing and crunching statistical numbers to see like exactly what is actually getting the results like most of the time, it's just purely emotional. That's well, we Olympic lift and we get great results because like the athletes always come and say, "Yeah, I love doing this," and it's just like, "See, see, we're getting results." Like, oh, that's not a result. That's just an athlete saying they love training here. That doesn't mean that they necessarily got better at their exactly. sport. And, exactly. and, and 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 I'm not. And by the way, just so you know, I'm not belittling the character building personality building human aspect that when an athlete comes in and says i love going here because I, I love it here and, and it makes you feel better and that then all that like all those qualities bleed into your life and make them a better person i'm just talking purely here as a objective sports science aspect of like well did your actual performance get better and i think that most of the, and I, I i say this as being as guilty as anyone like i'm like well it works for me in my setting that's kind of like it's, that's just an emotional response. You just like that because it, it provides certainty in your coaching and your life, and you just oh, you're absolutely. used to doing it. Exactly. And, and how do you know uh, something else doesn't uh, work, work better? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, how, how do you know? Like, yeah, there's too many coaches sometimes that are like box squats. People love box squats. People can't get rid of the box. You know? Well, okay. But how do you know something else doesn't work better unless yeah. you're going to try it? Yeah. Um, I, like I said, I'm just a results man. So if we will box squat. You know. I'm not opposed to that. Again, they're all tools, man. It just kind of fucking depends. I just want better results. That's all I care about. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what I think it comes back to a lot too, Jeff? Is it's a concept I've been meditating on an awful lot over the last, I'd say, maybe going on nine months now a year. Is this concept of uncertainty and and basically uncertainty comes from our, the biggest question every human has, whether they think about it consciously or subconsciously on a moment to moment basis, is death. Like, like what the fuck comes after life? So throughout throughout our, our lives and throughout just even our daily habits and routines, we try and uh, we try and fill fill those day to day moments with things that add certainty within our lives. You know, well I, I have this breakfast every morning, I eat this, I go to the gym this time. I like these exercises, I like this program, just the way I'm an Olympic lifting guy, whatever it is, you know. So be, be, be them habitual habits or religious beliefs or ideological beliefs or political beliefs, whatever. So it's it's the same too then when it comes to certain coaching endeavors and using methods. They add a certain element of certainty in your life that you basically use as a safety blanket. Uh, like uh, Going off that, uh, just that point you said there, how do you know something that, uh, that you're not doing is better than what you're currently doing? 
like you see that all the time with people's food too. It's like they go to the same restaurant, eat the same food, and get because it, and it's a delicious meal. It's like why don't you try something new? Because like no, because this is delicious, and if I eat something that's not nice, then I like ah, oh, it would be a perfect meal. It's like how do you know there's like not another like steakhouse that makes even nicer steak than the one you're eating right now, and you're missing out yeah. on it. No, I, I agree. So it's just uh, interesting type stuff. So, uh, energy systems, Jeff. Do, do, do you ever look at training through more energy system stuff? I know we were kind of saying technical model mechanics is sort of first. Like, do you ever do much energy systems and, and look at training through more of that alactic, lactic and, and aerobic power capacity? And if so, do, what do you do there? Yeah, so this is, um, I'm not going to lie, this is kind of the weaker area. And not that I'm strong in anything, but this is my weaker area of, of expertise. So, I just kind of follow. Um, I just kind of follow what uh, Dr. Yassis and Matt Tomey, who is a uh, master's degree in physiology, and, and Yosef kind of tell me. Because to be honest with you, um, I I think conditioning is very easy or much easier to develop um, than speed and stuff like that. So I I really I think that's I don't know I, I think it's overdone. I think it's overblown. That's just my personal bias. Um, well, I think I, I think I think uh, like a lot of development of physics. Sorry, put across it, by the way. You're probably this fucker keeps going across. I, <laughs> I I think uh, you were thinking that that last confirmed. It. <laughs> uh, I think that like the reason why a lot of coaches and listen, guilty myself as well, default to uh, just more physical capacity development. So what I mean by that is like more strength, more power, more speed, more condition. Is that it's just fucking easier. It's it's easier to like do more volume and intensity stuff than to fix a movement because motor control and uh, skill acquisition are just fucking hard. Like when I was out at Altus and like seeing the athletes run at full speed, you'd see Stu there and Stu be like, boom, 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 this, this, this. And like, I was off in two minds. I was like, one, he's a genius. Or the other side was like, he's talking absolute bullshit because he knows I can't tell any difference. Like, <laughs> and uh, I, I usually go with the former that he's a genius. But like, I was like, I was like, how can you see that? Like, they're going too fucking fast. So like, I also had my camera out and like just be videoing cameras, and then like I play back. But it, but but then I, the, another reason why I I could conclude that he was correct was because he'd say it, what he was seeing, and then when I play back slowly, I'd be like, that is exact. They're sitting too low, not being stiff enough. Fucking how is he seeing that so quickly? Now obviously, you know, whatever he's twenty twenty odd fucking years or more, uh, still really. I won't say his age, maybe thirty years in the field. Like, but it's just, uh, it's just harder. It's it's much it's much harder. Like, and, uh, like in, in terms of to fix movement at that speed or like in things like jumps and all that. Whereas it's just easier just to be like, oh, let's just get stronger. And it's, it's easier to coach like squatting because it's slow. Push your knees out. We'll put more weight on this. Well, yeah, and I feel um, so. Say, going back to your point on condition, I think that's why you said like it's just like yeah, it's easier, and it's easier to say you know, hey, we at least we at least put our time in with it and stuff like that. It's uh, so you know when again, it kind of depends on where we are in the training. So if we're in the tw- if we're in the twenty phase, we're in the general phase. Mm. I have athletes two to three times a week trying to just run a mile, uh, just run a mile as hard as they can though, but run a mile. Um, so hopefully, it should take. Anywhere from you know less than seven minutes of their day. Why a mile? Why? Because uh, the aerobic development that you get. Um, because as well, and because they're pr- trying to push it as hard as they can. Well, one, it's lower intensity. Two, the aerobic development they get because pushing the miles as hard as you can it pushes that, that anaerobic threshold. Uh, and two, it helps improve their ability to recover. Um, 
from it. And they don't really get sore from running a mile. You know what I mean? I, I don't have athletes when they come in after they ran a mile the next day, like, oh man, I'm so sore from that mile. Do you recommend uh, it? Do you recommend it on grass? Whatever they can. Uh, honestly, I, I, Pittsburgh is, there's not a lot of land, man. It's all hills. So if they can do it out in their neighborhood, if they can go do it at the school on, on the track, if they could do it on the field, whatever it is, just get it done as long as they're consistent when they do it. Cause I don't want them to go run it in their, their, their neighborhood and it's all hills and it takes them 10 minutes and then they go on the track and it runs six, but then they do it on a treadmill and it's five. You know what I mean? Like just stay consistent. I don't give a shit. Just stay consistent, run your mile two to three times a week. And then as progress goes, we just do a long to short with it because that matches very well. And I'm talking generally speaking here, general one set of 20, one set of 14, one set of eight, the progression with that, you know, going long to short works very well with what we do. And from a motor learning standpoint, um, it helps ingrain what we do as well because uh, it's less intense. Now, if I, I will say this, if an athlete has mechanical flaws such as heel striking when they run, I don't want them to run a mile or time their mile at least unless, uh, you know, unless they're thinking about uh, they're not able to think about running on their heels and they can perform a, a midfoot strike you know, w- without the thought of it. So from a motor learning standpoint, I, I like a, a short to long with that um, almost better. But nonetheless, uh, we do a mile, and then we'll go 1,200 meters or 1,200 yards, whatever, uh, down to 1,000 to, to 800 to 400, and we just work long to short. Because by, by that time in our training process, we're working general to specific, and then, you know, by the time we're in the specific phase, we're down to the shorter sprints, um, you know, so it's all, it's, it's speed work. Uh, and plus doing one set of 20, uh, builds capillary density, which is important for conditioning, uh, which is a large part with that. It builds work capacity because mm-hmm. if you've ever done a heavy set of 20 squats or GHRs or whatever, single leg squats, whatever the fuck you want to do, it's a ball buster. Um, you're out of breath. Um, do, do a heavy set of, uh, one set of 20 each leg step ups and tell me your heart rate's not, you know, your heart's not trying to pound through your chest. Um, and then on top of that, man, you know, I try to lock in nutrition. A lot of athletes who have conditioning issues that I see, you know, if you look at their diet, it's dog shit. So we get into some nutritional stuff with them. And then the other part that's, um, no one's really talking about, you know, everyone's on this breathing kick of diaphragmatic breathing and stuff like that, but no one's doing any exercise to strengthen that. So we use, uh, what's called the sports breather, um, mm-hmm. which, uh, is a resistance, looks like a kazoo. It's a resistance little tool that has, uh, resistance for the inhalation and exhalation. So I give them, uh, homework to do with that so they can go home and watch Netflix and, uh, breathe into the sports breather and it strengthens their respiratory muscles, um, which is pretty cool. So, and I've had a lot of good feedback with athletes and Matt Tomey, uh, Michigan Tech wrote a chapter on that last year in Jay's manual about the use of the sports breather. Um, an improvement in conditioning and stuff like that. So that's also something we'll do. Um, you know, I, I've been toying around with the oxygen advantage. Um, the book, if you ever use any of the models of just duct taping a kid's mouth shut and having them try to nose breathe and do stuff. Um, I think there's a lot of science and a lot of validity to that. Um, you know, I don't have any long-term results to, to deal with that just cause I got the book, I don't know, maybe six months ago. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I just think it's overdone. Um, and again, like I said at the beginning of the podcast is a lot of my athletes are playing sports year round. So they're getting their conditioning done. So I don't, I'm not too worried about that. To, to me, conditioning, worrying about conditioning is just, I mean, without worrying about the speed just means you're going to suck for longer. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like I want them fast. I want them explosive. 
Um, and too many, you know, it's a continuum, uh, or as you know, it's a spectrum. And too many athletes, in my opinion, or at least athletes I work with, spend too much time down in the endurance end and not enough on the speed end. Um, and I try to talk to my athletes about that. Um, so that's that's something which I work on. Um, but yeah, so kind of our running progression works very well with our lifting and our jumps and our specialized work. And so it's kind of a, you know, it's a, it's a system. Nice, nice. Uh, and it works well together. What do you like here time-wise, Jeff? Say that again? What, how are you time-wise? Are you still good for a few more minutes? Uh, I actually have a, a, a new client outside for an assessment. Um, I apologize that i got to get to. Okay, now that's fine because I have a ton of other questions, so this means we're going to have to do a part two. Dude, I, I would fucking love to because I, I could talk to you all day. But Yeah, like, I literally have tons of other stuff. Just, just, just before I do wrap up, just for the listeners, so stuff I want to stuff I want to get into you with is the, the when you talked about on Joel's podcast the little analogy you used about jumping on the heels of the athletes and you yep. know that was really good. But there was know, something else I was going to say. Oh yeah, I want you to get into that the Bosco jump assessment. I think that'd be very good. Um, okay. I'd really love to talk about that. Uh, and then there was other stuff I had there too. But anyway, we need to talk about like your mistakes, uh, uh, biggest things you've learned, resources. Yep. But I, I definitely have one or two things. What I'll do between now and the next time we do it is I have Jay's book. I'll read those. Uh, I'll read those chapters. And well, uh, so I can send them to you uh, if you don't have his book. Well, I have. I have the book. Jay. Jay sent it to me there at the end of it. Jay, okay. Jay. Jay sent it just as a, and then I got it. And then when I got it, I, I he sent it to Ireland. But then I was gone for three months. So I, I altered. So I never. It, it wasn't top of mind awareness then when I came home. So I was kind of like, fuck, I have that book. I need to read it. <laughs> Um, yeah, but there's there's still tons of other stuff I want to talk to you about, so uh, we'll, we'll, yeah, definitely, yeah, we'll definitely touch on that. But yeah, so guys, uh, just wrap up this podcast right now. Uh, so want to thank Jeff Moore so much again. This will be a part one. We're definitely going to get back for part two. So for now, guys, I'll talk to you all soon. Take care, stay strong. Uh, sorry, take care, be well, and stay strong. Thanks, Robert. <laughs>